And that's a little waking up music. You're with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Got Ken by my side again. Morning, Doc. Good morning, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yourself? Good. So you put in a new AC over the weekend, huh? Yeah, yeah, we did. That was fun. <laughs> I like writing those big checks. Well, your wallet's lighter now, so you should be more mobile. Well, that's why we moved to. Um, that's why we moved from Chicago to a vacation destination. We don't have well, to take a vacation this year now. We already live one. Yeah, you live in you live in paradise, dude. Exactly. So uh, while you were doing that yesterday, I was at the office uh, putting a new hard drive in one of the laptops, one of the older laptops. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I also built another computer from the motherboard up. Uh, I had a motherboard that went bad, but I still had good CPU and memory chips and power pack. So I just swapped out motherboards. And of course, you have to rebuild everything when you do that. And then I ran around updating all the computers because, you know, Windows, every time they they uh, update, you got to restart your computers. And I can't get my staff to restart them. I don't know if they don't know how to push the off on <laughs> And my wife, she's like, you, you got to do something about my computer. I can't get into this program. And so I got to go on and then I have to call the the new guys that are managing the practice because they put a program on so that they could get into our our QuickBooks, our accounting program, because they're now managing the money. And so then I have to call them and say, hey, I don't have the password. Can you take this program off? Then we got to reinstall her QuickBooks and then reinstall the antivirus. Oh, my God, they're killing me here, Ken. Yeah, I think I had more fun. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> No, but is there anything you can't do building a computer from the motherboard up? I could never do that. There's two things I, I haven't figured out how to do yet. What's Gest, that? Gestate and menstruate. <laughs> I can't do those. I think you can. I didn't give up on those. I think yeah, I pretty much have given up. I don't think that's going to happen without a chromosomal change and <laughs> shaving off about fifty years. <laughs> So uh, I got to tell you, this this Paxlovid, it's just miraculous. Uh, I've had a number of people come back that we put on the Paxlovid, and they're all saying, you know, the next day I felt better. And uh, there are, you know, a few residual coughs, but that's common after any cold. So this is a really great drug, and it's still free, Ken. But this, is about, this is the case people don't know this is a COVID treatment, right? Yeah, that's for the COVID, and that works for the Omicron or the Delta or the Alpha for all the strains. Now, I, I was listening to Fox News, and, uh, you know, they're really lambasting the vaccinations and all that. The vaccine, they don't like it, or they don't like the way the government has pushed it. Let me put it like that. And they don't think that the CDC has been transparent, which I don't think is true because I cruise that website at least every other week, as you know, to uh, be able to talk about it on the show. And, and you know, they had this this scared recently about the Pfizer causing strokes in elderly people. Did you see that? I did. I hear. I heard something about that earlier. Yeah. yeah. And and the CDC, what they actually said is, we're investigating this. We don't know that it's it's actually happening. But if you go back in yesterday or today after they've updated everything, they said there's no data to show that it does increase strokes. Of course, the the. And you can probably explain this to me better, uh, Ken. <laughs> I know what you're about to say. They don't go back and check again. What is that it, or is it? Or yeah. they, no, know, they just don't go back. They've got their story. Oh, they got the story, and and so that makes if, that now if the CDC had somebody 
who knew what they were doing, apparently, in public relations, they would be all over these people saying, "You oh, now we've had this development and we want to put this on the air. But apparently that's not happening either. Well, I think part of the problem is that if you have uh, a spokesperson for the government, uh, half the country is going to immediately distrust them because it's either a Democratic or a Republican regime. And so how do you get people to buy into your neutrality, such as, uh, uh, you know, something like CDC? But, I mean, then you have somebody like Fauci, who is obviously a Democrat, obviously an anti-Trumper. And uh, what do you want people to do? They're going to be influenced. We're emotional animals by his uh, political bend. And people are going to say, well, you can't trust him. He's not one of us. Uh, And I think that he has made some mistakes And I think that he has been misleading intentionally. And we've talked about this before, like early on, don't wear a mask because we were short on masks and we wanted them for the healthcare profession. But I think overall, he's done a pretty good job. But, you know, he he has not read all of the he'll read the abstract from an article, but he won't read the whole article. So, (laughs) you know, you don't you can't really judge by the abstract always, because if you go into the whole article, there may be. Uh, some uh, confounding uh, data. There may be some qualifiers. And so you have to take all that into consideration. But I don't know how you get people to uh, to buy into the government. I mean, if they did, the government would have its own its own channel and it would have its own broadcast. But I don't think we have that, do we? No, we don't. It would, it would be called propaganda anyway. Oh, yeah. People yeah. would call it propaganda. And it could easily be manipulated by whichever party is in power. Exactly. Yes. I think, you know, you know, you really got to watch. We have the the upper echelons. And this is true of the FBI or just about any organization in in Washington, I'd imagine that you have the upper echelon. Okay, the people you see on television. And then you have your your co your workers, your worker bees. They're producing the material that you're looking at. I, I tend to trust it because they've been doing it. They're professionals. That's what they do all the time. They've been there, some of these people, for 20 years. So I think you can believe the numbers unless yeah, the upper inter- echelons, you know, start messing with them. Yeah, it's the interpretation. And, and uh, you've got to remember that a lot of these people in the upper echelon, uh, they have either clawed their way to the top as bureaucrats or they're appointees. They're cabinet members. They're, uh, you know, they're they're appointed by the president and approved by by the Senate. So... What are you going to do? I mean, you've got you've got multiple layers, and you may not get down to the to the truth because as it works its way up the ladder, everybody's going to put a spin on it. You know, it's like playing telephone. I don't, well, you probably didn't play it, but that <laughs> <laughs> you only got one ear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but we played it as kids, and so you'd sit in a circle, eight or ten people, and you'd whisper a phrase into somebody's ear. And then they'd whisper it in the next guy or gal's ear, and it'd go around. And by the time it got back, it wasn't anything like what you said. <laughs> you know, it was completely different. Uh, so it, it, we have to remember that these things change hands, and they get misinterpreted or reinterpreted. But if you get to the raw data, I think you're looking at factual information. Yeah. And if you go to the CDC, you can get to the raw data. Now, you may not have the uh, experience of reading raw data like this to interpret it appropriately or correctly. But uh, that's why you listen to Dr. Bill, because I can interpret it for you. And one of the things that uh, the right wing press is is harping about is that the number of uh, actually the percentage and the number of deaths from COVID has risen in the vaccinated 
uh, which is uh, new or has been changing since we rolled out the vaccine a couple of years ago. So here's the deal on that. Remember, there's always confounding factors. There's more to the story. So that's why Dr. Bill digs deep for you. (laughs) Doesn't that make you feel good? It does. Yeah, you've always um, given me a sense of calm about this whole thing throughout the entire pandemic. Yep, I'm trying to, and I'm going to calm you down even more. Let's remember that 80% of the country is now vaccinated, at least two, two shots. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good, especially with the anti-vaccination uh, group. And you figure maybe another 2 or 3% have some prior uh, bad experience with vaccines like allergic reactions or anaphylaxis, so they're a little afraid. So you probably got, what, 15% of the country that are naysayers or that are scared to get it. And uh, so, but think about this. Let's say that two years ago we had 250,000, 500,000 people vaccinated, but now we have what, 80 to 100 million people? I mean, more than that because you got 80% of the population. So that's 250 million. Are we at herd immunity now? Well, the, the problem with this virus is that the immunity wears off rapidly so that oh. the herd immunity doesn't really work as well as, as it would with other vaccines. So the idea of herd immunity is that it's like a firewall. If you've got enough people vaccinated, then you have like buffers between the unvaccinated and that cuts down on the uh, rate of of, uh, of uh, transmission of the virus as well as sickness and death from it. But if you increase the population that's vaccinated to 80% of the, of the U.S. population, the number of deaths are going to go up. And guess what? The number of deaths and those who are vaccinated percentage-wise are going to go up because 80% are now vaccinated. So you can't really look at it from that uh, from that perspective, and you and you got to remember too that there's a, maybe long intervals from your last vaccine, and we know that this virus does uh, weird things, and that we lose our immunity to it within four to six months after vaccination. And the same thing if you've had it. And I heard a lot of people say, "Well, I had it, so I'm not going to get vaccinated. I know I'm okay." No, you're not. You know, if you have the the virus and you build up immunity, that's going to wane over time. That's going to wear off. Your antibody levels are going to drop, and that's why we keep pushing people to get the booster. So is this going to be a yearly booster forever? Well, for my older patients, I tell them every six months. Oh, okay. I'm about to do that. (laughs) Or patients who are are bad children and smoke and misbehave. So there's a lot of confounding factors. And so actually, if you take all these into consideration, your chances of dying or getting really sick from the virus are much, much less. I mean, one-fifteenth that of those people who are not vaccinated. And we know that the majority of deaths are not only in older people, but they're in older people who are not vaccinated. So I I find it hard to believe that some... Folks over like 70 are still not vaccinated. Well, I think that we've done pretty well in Florida. We're probably at about 85%, which is not bad. But Uh, there are still some holdouts out there, apparently. Yeah, but with the bivalent booster, it's 15 times lower risk of death from COVID. 15 times lower if you've had the bivalent, you know, the new one that I've been pushing everybody to get. And so I encourage everybody to go out and get a booster. He said, well, I don't want to because it makes me feel bad for a couple of days. Give me a break. 
get over it. You know, I had a sore arm for about 12 hours. That was it. <laughs> there, there's a great story out of New Zealand. And uh, so the uh, there's this medical society called the Society of Psychosomatic uh, Medicine. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Let me see if I can find that in my uh, in my files here. I'll pull it up here in a second. Psychosomatic. So it's all in their head? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of uh, – this was a newspaper study that was done in uh, – in New Zealand, and uh, they looked at the rate of people who were claiming that they had side effects from the vaccine uh, compared to when the press rolled out the uh, information and the scare tactics about uh, potential deleterious side effects from the vaccine. And how did that all line up with each other? Well, if, if the you know, if if the press reported something, the number of people reporting symptoms went up 10 times. <laughs> and guess what the main complaint was? What's that? Chest pain. Chest pain. Yeah. And so what do you get when you have a high anxiety or a bad anxiety attack? You get, you get, you get chest pain. Yes. <laughs> like, but th- there was no proof. They couldn't find any hard data that anybody had any more uh, deleterious side effects. And most of the side effects are going to be you know, sore arm and a mild systemic uh, syndrome for a couple of days, you know, fever, body aches, chills. Uh, and th- that's not uncommon with uh, some vaccines. You have that. Boy, I tell you what, that that uh, that shingles vaccine kicked my butt, buddy. I mean, I was out for two or three days with that. Yeah, you, you um, seem better. <laughs> well, I don't have shingles. That's good. <laughs> so- so the, the data tracker really, uh, no, by the way, someone on Fox also said, well, there have been 25,000 childhood deaths from the vaccine. What are you talking about? There's been no reported childhood deaths in the United States from the vaccine. And the number of kids who have died from the COVID virus under 18 is really minuscule. I mean, it's in the hundreds. So I, I don't know where these people are getting this data and why they're throwing this around like it's. Uh, real facts. I think that part of this, like you say, is they don't go back and do the follow-up research. And I also think that there's some sensationalism. There is on all sides of the press because they got to sell advertising and you got to get people to listen. That's right. So if you have something controversial to to say, uh, you're going to get more people to listen. That's right. And if you go back the next day and say, hey, well, we told you yesterday was wrong. Well, now you look like an idiot. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to do that either unless they're forced to. No, they're not going to do that, and they're not going to take responsibility because they'll say, well, we're just quoting the facts that we were given. And I don't even know that a lot of these reporters have done any real deep research. You know, I think a lot of them are just handed uh, script from the higher-ups, and uh, that's what they look at and do. Now, a few of them, like maybe like uh, 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 Brian Kilmeade, he'll do some research. I don't know how. I mean, he seems like he's a smart guy, but I don't know if he's intelligent enough to interpret all of the data that comes before him uh, with the same scrutiny and uh, scientific acumen that somebody like me has. And well, you'll, I, you'll find that more on the network cast, the, the, the half-hour network newscast. They tend to cover both sides. They they try to. They try to. But when you're working for, like, a cable news network and you're a reporter, they got 24 hours to fill, okay? And they want new news all the time. So you don't have the time to sit here 
and take a day and a half to find the answers to your story. They want it by, you know, by three o'clock. Yep. And if they don't get it, guess what? You don't, don't work there very they, long. <laughs> they don't stay in business very long. Yeah. So it's, it's also 24 hour news has really affected the country because not everything is checked out. No. But and, it's taken as fact because, well, he said it on TV. It's got to be true. Yeah. Or on the Internet. Or on the Internet now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm so upset with my next door neighbor because she went to the ER instead of coming to me and they didn't give her Paxlovid. So she's been sick for two weeks. I mean, she's 85 years old. For God's sake, she's not going to not going to make it through a, a bad bout uh, like this again. But talk to your doctor. You can't. Uh, you, I mean, you can't. You can drag a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You you can tell people what they need to do, and they'll even come in the office and and I'll say, "This is what you need to do." Mm, I'm not a medicine person. <laughs> Believe in vaccinations. You know. Speaking okay. of which, I was looking at something. I pulled it up here on my phone for just a second. I saw it earlier today. This is from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And this is what, what we're, I think we're really getting kind of dangerous in, this, in the country now here, Doc. According to today's data, the percentage of U.S. children entering kindergarten with the required immunizations fell 90 to 93%. So that's go, that number should not be going down. No, it should be going up. Yeah, it should be going up. But, you know, I think the anti-vaccination gang and the right wing and the uh, the actually a lot of the highly educated women, you know, the masters and Ph.D. level women with children, they don't believe in vaccinations. Like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be the more educated. But uh, and one percent equals 10,000 children. Just want to throw that in there. Too. So, uh, tetanus is so rare that uh, uh, I hope people get their kids vaccinated for tetanus. Uh, measles, mumps, rubella, almost all the kids are going to survive that. You might have a few that get a little brain damage. But the, the percentage of the population that would be affected by that uh, is not great. But polio, that's a no-fun situation. And I've seen adults who were not immunized after the immunizations came along in the 1950s and 60s. They were born in the late 60s, and they weren't vaccinated. And they caught polio, and they're crippled. It's just, I mean, you know, not only is it unfortunate for them, but guess who has to take care of these folks? We do, the society. And that's, I'm afraid that's what it's going to take. It's going to take kids, again, getting polio, and that'll scare the bejeebas out of everybody. Yep, and you cannot convince people, and they'll say, well, I don't see any polio. I don't see any smallpox. I don't see this. I don't see that. Are you sure we really need all this? Well, why do you think it's gone? (laughs) But if you haven't lived through it and you don't know the history, then uh, it's 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 hard to to really get people to uh, buy into it. Some people now, most people will trust your your doctors and your uh, health public health care workers. And but you know, there's a few people that just won't do it. And but they increase the cost of care for the whole society. Do you think calling the uh, COVID treatment a vaccine was a good idea? Or should we have come up with something different? Because the vaccine, in every, in my mind, it says you take this shot and you're good for you're good to go forever. Well, that's not true with all vaccines. But that's the, the I guess well that is with polio, is it not? Well, we know that uh, two shots seems to impart enough immunity that uh, you don't need a, a booster as an adult. But I think we're now giving boosters on kids uh, in their teens. So oh, okay. Uh, 
But I think that the, the vaccine part of it, and it came along so quickly, and most vaccines take, as you know, years to get to well, approval. I, I, you're right, Ken, and I think that that is something that people are, are questioning, and they're saying, well, isn't it supposed to last forever? Well, you think about the uh, pneumococcal vaccine for adults for pneumonia, you're supposed to get a booster every 10 years. Uh, you think about the shingles vaccine. I got the original one, and then the Shingrix came out, and they said, you need this now because it'll give you better immunity. It's a little broader spectrum, and it'll also boost your prior system. And we know with the hepatitis B vaccine, you need a booster. Uh, and occasionally, because as a doctor, we have to have that, uh, occasionally you'll check people's antibody levels, and they'll be undetectable. And so we boost them, and they're adults, and they've already had their primary hepatitis B rounds. Now, does that mean that they don't have immunity because you can't measure an antibody level in them? No, not necessarily. It just means the antibody levels are so low that you can't detect it. But they may have enough memory cells that if they come in contact with hepatitis B in their system, that their memory cells will rev right up and make enough antibodies. But we don't know for sure. And uh, so we have to uh, have to boost. And this is a unique man-made virus. And so we know that uh, since it is a, a designer type uh, virus, that it may not behave as other viruses behave. And we know that flu, we have to get a shot every year, not necessarily because we've lost immunity, uh, but because we know that the strains change every year. And we do know that like with the swine and the bird flu, which come around every so often, and they're usually pretty egregious, um, that those who have had it before are less likely to get sick from it. So those of us who were born in the 40s and 50s, we were exposed to the swine flu. We were exposed to the, the bad bird flu. And so when it came back around in the 70s, we're at lower risk, but we probably caught a, a mild case if we didn't get the uh, the flu vaccine for those years. And now it came back around again, what, eight or 10 years ago. And we were telling senior citizens like myself, probably not necessary to get the booster, get the vaccine, but it wouldn't hurt. And we know that there was a much lower rate of infection with the swine flu and people my age because they had previous exposure. So, so it's, a, it's a mindset thing then. People think a vaccine, you're good forever. And then, yeah. then they hear COVID. Oh no, you need another one. Oh no, you need another one. Oh no, you need another one. They're, they're. Well, I think I, they're just confused. They don't know what to do. You do what I tell you. Do what the doc I tells you. Get the right. line. I'll, I'll smack you. <laughs> <laughs> and most of my patients are like, "We'll do it, doc. We'll do whatever you say." And there's a few that are, you know, weird or crazy or, uh, you know, self uh, sufficient in their mind, and they don't want to do it. Not well. I'm. You know, I'm just a signpost, Ken. I'm not going to go home with you and, and make you behave. And um, I can't go home with you and make you stop smoking. I can only tell you, you know, this is not good for you. But you got to remember, too, that uh, that vaccinations, uh, they, the definition of a vaccination is something that is uh, exogenous, that's um, injected into your system or taken into your system orally or in some other way that stimulates an antibody response. Now, whether or not those antibody levels remain at, at adequate levels is, is not what defines whether or not it's a vaccine. It's does it stimulate an antibody response? That's what it does. That's a vaccine. Those are active vaccines. Passive vaccines would be if you got a transfusion of 
plasma from uh, we do have plasmas from people who have that's pulled from people who have had like measles or mumps or rubella or some other disease. And so we take it from people who we we know have had the recent virus, uh, but their virus is out of their system. And we pool those and we give that as a passive immunization. So it gives you some antibody boost for several weeks until all those antibodies are broken down. So that's passive immunization. And there's natural immunization, which is when you catch a virus and uh, or, or a bacteria and you build up immunity to it and you're fine. But you think about things like strep throat. I mean, there are some people that get strep over and over and over again. Why? Because they probably don't have an adequate immune response or they have some structural problem like big tonsils. And so the bacteria can hide in the little crevices in your tonsils. And that's uh, one reason that we take out tonsils in kids and, and uh, even in adults who've had two or three more strep throats in a year because we know it cuts down on it. I didn't know that. Did not know that. Yeah, that's where it hides. And you think about shingles. I mean, it's a, it's the chicken pox uh, virus that hides in your system. And then uh, after a while, the antibody levels drop. And if you've had the chicken pox as a kid before we had vaccinations or whatever, you're going to have immunity, but not necessarily forever. And then the shingles will break out. <laughs> so uh, I remember mom and my mothers back then would, you got, if you got the mumps or the measles, put the kids together. Let's get it all over with at once. Yeah, we didn't have the vaccines back in the 50s and 60s for some of these diseases. And so I, I remember very well that my father and his partner uh, if one kid in the in the group got sick, my God, we were all over at their house for a, uh, you know an overnight or two, <laughs> which was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's just a, a mindset when they hear a word the word virus, uh, rather vaccine. They they think the seem to think that it's a, a cure all, but in fact, what you have just been saying here for the last five minutes that their vaccines have needed boosters all along. And there's no guarantees in life. Come on. I mean, you know, people think they're going to live forever. I've got news for you, folks. We ain't going to live forever. And uh, I've held people dying in my arms. And they said, I just can't believe I'm going. And I said, well, you know, we're sorry to see you go, but we all come and go, Ken. Yeah, I know. And well, uh, it's getting closer for everybody. And yeah, and we'll all be ground back into stardust eventually, um, and that's just the way it is. Uh, the universe will expand and contract infinitely, and I'll be back in you know several hundred million years with another radio show. <laughs> well, I hope I'm there with you. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the bladder is full. It's late in the hour. Oh, it's time to do a question. So let's do a question. We will. Let's see. This is for uh, two Dr. Bill, your Radio MD coffee mugs. And we have a question that deals with the first half of the show. So if you join us in the beginning, you'll be able to get the answer to this. And the first person with the correct answer at 877-969-8600 will win. That's 877-969-8600 for two Dr. Bill, your Radio MD coffee mugs. Give me the correct answer to what was Doc doing at the office yesterday? What did he have to do at the office yesterday? If you know the answer. What's that? What's that, Doc? I said, there you go. That's right. 877-969-8600 is a number to call. Here's the latest from the Answer News Center. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. 
This is not what they need. Storm-battered California getting more rain, wind, and snow, raising flooding concerns, causing power outages, and making travel treacherous. Bands of rain with gusty winds began yesterday in the north and spread south, with more storms expected through the early part of this week. Flood warnings have been issued for parts of counties north and south of San Francisco Bay. There are some evacuations going on. Western officials say violence against civilians in Mali has risen in the years since hundreds of Russian mercenaries started working alongside the West African country's armed forces to stem a decades-long insurgency by Islamic terrorists. And authorities in Nepal say at least 68 people have been confirmed dead now after a regional passenger plane crashed. There were 72 people on board. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of CanCare, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical, home of CanCare Clinic, offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727 384 When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser, doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. My friends at St. Pete MRI and Sleep Diagnostics are your best choice for state-of-the-art MRI, CT, and sleep studies. Quality unsurpassed. 25 years experience makes St. Pete MRI my go-to imaging center. Self-pay rates are competitive and out-of-pocket cost a fraction of a hospital. Conveniently accessible from both sides of the bay at 750 94th Avenue North, St. Pete, near the Gandhi, 727-577-2220, 727-577-2220. The latest from AccuWeather at the top and bottom of the hour, only on AM860, The Answer. Today, we'll have plenty of sunshine with a high 59. Tonight, clear and chilly with a low 40. Tomorrow, plenty of sun with a high 66. Tomorrow night, clear skies with a low 45. Tuesday, partly sunny and nice, the high will be 70. Wednesday, partly sunny and pleasant with a high 77. That's your accurate forecast. I'm Garrett Beck for AM860, The Answer. I'm back. This is Dr. Bill. We're doing a radio show. we got Ken by our side here, and you guys are out there, and I appreciate you and love every one of you. By the way, I'm at 
727-384-6411, if you need a doctor or if you want a telemedicine visit or if you just want to send cash. <laughs> just, just get my girl to call and give them your credit card number. <laughs> Doc, we almost had a winner. Almost? I say almost because I was talking to a gentleman on the phone and he had the correct answer. And I was starting to get his information, and we got cut off. Well, tell him to call back. That's what I'm going to say right now. Daniel, if you're out there and you want the mugs, call call back after the show, because I can't take the call right now, but we will do that right after the show if you're out there. Yeah, Daniel, don't you dare interrupt Ken and me. <laughs> <laughs> 877-969-8600, Daniel, in case you forgot. So call us back. We're here for you. you. Were, Doc, well, Doc, what were you doing Saturday? Let's give the answer. What were you doing yesterday? The answer was I was updating all of the computer software at the office, installing a new hard drive on one of the laptops, older laptops, and also, I built a, a computer from the motherboard up uh, because the motherboard, I think, I think it was the motherboard had gone out, gone bad. And so I ordered a new one, put in the uh, changed the chip over to the, the CPU over to the new board and the memory, and got everything hooked up and plugged in and screwed down and tightened up and uh, put in a new power pack just to make sure it wasn't the power pack. And uh, now I've got um, basically a brand new older computer. <laughs> well, Doc, you know, if you want to give up this medicine thing, you probably make a a good candidate for the Geek Squad. I could, or, or I could be the handyman, too. And, you know, I could fix everything. That's what my wife said. She said, you know, you're not a doctor. You're you're just a, you're just a handyman. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm your handyman. By the way, you know, she had me yesterday. She wanted to have a party for the, the, uh, the guy that, or one of the guys that bought the building, uh, Grant, and Grant is uh, an MBA, and so he heads up this group of doctors, and it's it's kind of like uh, Trump, you know, he's got all these subgroups that are independent en entities, and he's involved with most, and he, he manages everything, and at any rate, so he came over with his wife and his mother, his, he goes everywhere with his mother, he's kind of a mama's boy, but we still love him, but his mother is actually... Uh, the office manager at one of the uh, at one of the of uh, the offices that he, that he's overseeing, and so we had him and we had some friends from Canada and our, our old neighbors Ken and Barbie over, and uh, and so we were basically doing slave work for her. Not we, me. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to have a party. Well, this is for you. <laughs> what do you mean it's for me? I, you know, so. Uh, she she brings out paper plates to eat uh, mandu on. With mandu is like a, a a little a little muffin or a little roll, not a roll. What you, I'm trying to think of the word. At any rate, you a have croissant. Yeah, it's it, no, it's a it's a filled uh, you know little filled pasta thing that's got all kinds oh, of ravioli. Excellent. Something like that. Only it's a it's a it's a crust. But at any rate, it's Korean and uh, Japanese, and and so she gives everybody paper plates, and they're trying to cut these things with paper <laughs> plates in their laps. I'm like, oh my god! So I have to get out the little dishes because she didn't even know we had them. <laughs> and so then I have to I have to get out the grill. I have to set everything up. Uh, I'm doing all the dishes, and I'm thinking. 
this isn't my party. Why am I doing all this? <laughs> She's yelling at me 15 minutes before I'm trying to watch the first half ending of the uh, of the Seahawks 49ers game. Is you have to get up right now and do this and move that chair. I said it'll only take me a minute. It's like oh my god. Of course, this morning my neck is killing me, but that's okay. She doesn't listen to the show, does she? No, oh, I didn't think so. She does not listen. She, she. I mean, does your wife listen to you? No, no, never. Oh, they're not going to listen to us. Nah. <laughs> they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so at any rate, I used to be on a morning radio show, and she'd say, well, "Nah, I listen to the guys on the other station." So thank you very much. <laughs> That's a fact, Jack. <laughs> we hey, they had the music she wanted to hear, I guess, and the the voices that she didn't, didn't want to hear. Right? Yeah, and the voice that she didn't want to hear was you because yeah. she heard that all day and all night. Exactly. So, did you see where the workers are losing ground to inflation despite uh, big wage gains? I mean, we've had some of the most uh, robust wage gains in the past one or two years. And in 2022, they're still losing ground because inflation is ahead of, is is greater than the uh, than the uh, gains in, in income and in wages. So uh, this is tough. I mean, this is really tough for people. And I know because I've got young uh, employees and uh, people who have been making, you know, secretarial uh, assistant nursing assistant wages for most of their lives. And I don't know. We may pay 20 to 25 an hour which is uh, uh, seemingly a lot of money, but that doesn't go very far these days, Ken. No kidding. And uh, so a lot of these young girls, they're on, uh, they're on Medicaid and uh, for their kids and WIX, and you know they get the, the EBT cards and all that. And we were talking about this at the dinner table last night, and one person said, well, you know, I don't think we should have these giveaway programs. And I said, I don't think we should be handing money out. I think we should be encouraging people to go to work. But what if you're working? And you can't pay your bills. I mean, you, you know, these people need help. They can't do it on their own. Uh, there, there's just not enough enough wage uh, money there. And I can't pay them 50 bucks an hour when I'm only making, you know, 75 to 100 myself. I mean, I wouldn't be making any money. Well, that's a real dilemma then. What do we do? I, you know, I don't know. I think that we have to move uh, uh, carefully and we have to look at this and study it. We have to get uh, economists and healthcare people involved, and I hope that the Congress is doing this when they make these decisions. But I would think that uh, one thing that seemed ridiculous to me was uh, hiring or wanting to hire 85,000 new uh, IRS workers. That's going to put a tremendous burden on the budget over the years. And uh, can we put this to better use? I, I would think so. I mean, if you want to just create bureaucratic jobs and you think that the government should be the main employer, like it is in Canada and a lot of the uh, uh, the more socialized countries, then go for it. But you go up to Canada and, and try to see a doctor right now, you're going to get in a line that may last one or two years. So, oh, I was uh, reading an article some earlier this week. Um, I don't have don't remember the specifics, but I think the woman was there for seven hours in an ER and died. Mm-hmm. Right there in the waiting room, I guess. So. Yeah. Now, the doctor said she probably wouldn't have lived anyway, but uh, I think that it's it's kind of bad PR, isn't it, when you have somebody die in the waiting room? Well, yeah, I mean, especially when she's been there for seven hours. I, I remember as an intern, I went out into the waiting room, and 
there was a woman, young woman crying, and, and I went over and talked to her, and I said, what's wrong? She said, I was raped. And so we got her back right away, but she'd been sitting out there for an hour or two by herself. Hmm. You know, that's that's tough. I mean, that's tough. There are some things that you just, uh, for no other reason than it's just bad PR, you got to get people back in there and get them treated. Yeah. The um, same way in my office, if we have somebody who's really sick that walks in the door and a couple of patients have appointments ahead of them, you know, I, that's too bad. I'm sorry. Or if I have an emergency at the hospital and I have to run over there, what are you going to do? I mean, you have to, t- you have to, you have to triage and you have to set the priorities. I know when I had my first AFib attack, really bad one. And, uh, they said, go to, go to the emergency, whatever it was. And, um, I walked in there and they they looked at me. They said, "I said I got some heart problems." I said, "Yeah, okay, you're in." And room full of people didn't mind. They just right into the uh, right into the examination office with me. So that's, that's good. good. I mean, that's that's what you want it. Yeah. Well, so what you do when you go in the ER is you act like you're having a heart attack. <laughs> so you're holding your chest and oh god, I think I'm dying. I'm coming to you, Martha. But then when you get back, you say, "Oh no, I just got a sore throat." That wasn't my. It, it's it's my. The point is that's one of the few places it's good to be last. Yes, that's true, and uh, so I think that we have some work to do uh, as a country, and we have to figure out how to help folks without overspending and over, you know, busting the, you know, breaking the bank, busting the piggy bank. We don't want to have to do that. And we don't want to go into any more debt, but at the same time, we want to keep people uh, moving up. And uh, we've seen a big change in in the uh, black American population and educational levels and healthcare and their involvement in society, a decrease in crime rates in, in black neighborhoods and the escalation of a lot of blacks into middle and upper middle class roles. And, you know, there were no black doctors, maybe one or two that I remember when I was a kid. And we got tons of black doctors in our system here locally. Um, so I, I think that that we have to think of ways in which we can help people uh, help themselves and at the same time not, not break the, uh, not bust the budget doing it. But uh, the actual amount of money that we spend on welfare has stayed pretty much at 50 51, 52% over the past few decades. And most of that is Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. And of course, the VA healthcare system. Uh, so we only spend about 20% on average for um, military. And that's probably 10 times more than anybody else in the world, except for maybe the, the Russians uh, uh, who spend a lot of money on their on their military. It doesn't seem to do them any good. <laughs> I was just going to say. They... <laughs> They're not getting anywhere. They spend a lot of money on missiles. Yeah, they do. And did you hear they're they're shooting ballistic missiles now at the Ukrainians because the Ukrainians have some anti-aircraft, anti-missile missiles that they got from whoever. And so, but those are for subsonic, you know, kinds Mm -hmm. of weaponry. And so these are supersonic moving at, what, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 miles an hour. They're coming in pretty hot or coming in from above. Uh, That's what the Patriot's for, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, but I don't think we give them any patriots yet. We are sending them some patriots, from what I understand, yes. Well, finally, and uh, the the British are sending them tanks and artillery, thank God. Um, I hope it's not junk from World War II. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. But no, I, mean, I, think, I think it's some pretty good material they're sending over there right now. 
Yeah, and uh, you know the T seventy two tank is is no is no uh, great winner of a tank. I mean, we wiped all these T seventy twos off the fields and in the Iraq wars. I mean, we lost one or two tanks and we wiped out hundreds and hundreds of their tanks. Oh, it was no contest. Yeah, there's no contest, and the T seventy twos are just not. They're not at our level. They're not like the Abrams. Well, and that's what uh, that's what uh, they want next. The Abrams. Well, give it to them. I mean, we're just letting them go get rusty here, for God's sakes. Put them to use. Better to use them now than to use them later, you know? And, and better to let somebody else use them than to have our boys well, that are yeah. having to use sure. them. So, you know, I think that uh, even though proxy wars may feel a little immoral in ways, Ken, uh, they do do good in that they can keep bigger powers from coming front to front, face to face, you know, in person. And so you probably want minor actors when you have this uh, dangerous of a, of a play acting going on rather than have the two, the two big boys square off on the stage because, you know, the stage may no longer exist. So Well, it certainly is a testing bed for equipment, and uh, Russians have failed miserably. Yeah, they failed. And then I also think that uh, small wars like this uh, are actually places where you can train your, your junior officers. Meaning you have to, it's like, it's like indigent patients in the emergency room. You let the interns and the medical students and residents work on them. And, and if you didn't have that, they wouldn't get trained. I mean, they wouldn't have that opportunity to see the pathology and, and take care of people, uh, you know, in, in, in a firsthand situation and, and learn some of the tricks of the trade and learn how to interact and all that. And you say, well, it's not fair to the people who don't have money. Well, you know what? It's better than no care. Yeah. I mean, and it's not like they're not being over overseen by uh, by the staff men, but it's just not that uh, you're just not getting the staff man or woman uh, for your your primary contact. But uh, I, I think that they're as immoral as war may be to a lot of people. I do think that there are some uh, values and, and positives that come from small bush wars that you can let your your junior officers go and train it. And I'm sure we have people over there that are quote, quote, advisors, and uh, they're they're getting their feet wet, so to speak. And if you don't do that, guess what? You, you're not going to have a rapid response military. And that's one of the hallmarks of our system is that we had the Minutemen. Even back in the 1770s, we had the Minutemen, and they were training. They were militia, but they were, Ken, they were going out and training, and they were having they were having uh, drills and see how fast they could get out the door. And you had to keep your, your uh, musket by the door loaded, ready to go. And uh, if you think of, of, of us doing that today, I mean, most people would, would go ballistic if you had your, your AK-47 or your <laughs> line by the door with a full clip and one in the chamber. I mean, the neighbors would go, they'd lose their minds. They'd be calling the police on you. <laughs> But that was the way it was, and that's the way uh, th that's the way we've stayed ready and able to respond. And you say, well, we didn't do that in World War One and World War Two. Times are different; things can move a lot faster now. The, the war wasn't on our land, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, they were not on our land, and uh, neither was World War Two. I think the only time we had an incursion from the Japanese is uh, when they invaded one of the uh, Aleutian Islands. I forget if it was Attu or one of the islands closest to Japan. And they were going to take those back and claim those because uh, they think they own everything in the North Pacific. <clears throat> At least they did. Uh, they did back then, yeah. They did. They wanted to. 
Now China has that attitude. So, well, they got they want the South Pacific, right? Exactly. They, exactly. Yeah. They oh, can't no, have why, it either. So, why can't we just have it all? I think we should take everything. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, you and I will take a five percent cut for managing it. I'll just take one. One percent. You'd probably be richer than Elon Musk. That's what I mean. That one percent would be plenty. Speaking of which, uh, you know, they cut the uh, the uh, price of some of the Teslas because the government lowered the the ceiling on which cars would uh, qualify for that seventy five hundred dollar tax credit for the electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I don't get it for my Hyundai because my Hyundai was not made or put together in the United States. So the car has to either be manufactured in the United States or assembled in the United States. It has to be under a certain value. And uh, this also phases the 7,500 phases out as your income bracket goes up. So uh, Tesla said, well, we'll take care of that. We'll just cut the price. (laughs) (laughs) And I I guess this is a a good thing. You know, this is going to um, drive more competition between the electric vehicle makers but Tesla stock dropped and went down about 1% last week after this announcement. Uh, I don't know how much it's going to hurt their revenues. Might increase. Uh, it, it might increase them because they may have more car sales. Exactly. Because so, a lot of people, the complaint is they're too expensive. Yeah. So they may have been a smart move. Yeah. And uh, well, Elon Musk and his board, the per, you know, apparently they know what they're doing. I mean, He's come from, what, nothing in the early 2000s to the largest uh, electric car manufacturer in the world? Not bad. Not quite, bad. He's quite the guy. Quite the guy. He's a, he's a real stud in the in the world of... Uh, yeah, he's uh, launching another rocket tonight. Is he? Yep. You it's go, like, boy. It's like 5.55 this evening from uh, Kennedy. Pad, yeah. pad 39A, if you really want to know. Not that I pay attention to these things. <laughs> no, it's important. It's just one of the reasons I moved down here, so I could watch a launch from my backyard. It's fun. It is. It's great. On a clear night, it looks really cool. And it's going to be a clear night tonight, so it's going to be a good launch. It's even more fun when they blow up just every kid <laughs> the launch pad. <laughs> I mean, not for the people in the, in the space. And you mean unmanned missions, right? Unmanned missions, yeah. It is kind of fun to watch them blow up. <laughs> I admit that. So, uh, you know, we were talking about the impact of media coverage on uh, reports from COVID vaccine side effects that was done in New Zealand, a study. And they they coined a word, they called it the nocebo effect. Not placebo, but nocebo, newscebo effect, which I think is a cool name. Nocebo. N-O-C-E-B-O, the nocebo. Nocebo, okay, yeah. So that's like the placebo effect, only opposite. Uh, when it comes to the news service giving us information that then gets us all in a panic and a tizzy about our our side effects from the vaccine. Which and it turns out later not to be true sometimes. Turns out later not to be true. All these people are dying. And, you know, there's been so, there's a couple of dozen people have died because of the, uh, the uh, clotting, the thrombocytosis. Uh, that uh, they have a genetic disorder that they don't know about, and then they took the vaccine, and that precipitated the uh, the uh, blood clotting in their system. It's called TTP. It's a it's a disease, and I've treated that before. So how do we handle it? I mean, we only got four minutes left in the show, so it's kind of late to start a topic like this. But I mean, what do we do with this misinformation? 
How do you stop it? And can you? Should you even try? We tell people who listen to this show to tell everybody they know to listen to the show. They can pick us up. Uh, this is taped, so you can pick it up. You can you can get it on Facebook or YouTube if you want to see my ugly mug live. You can get it at the radio station. You can go to drbillradiomd.com, and you got to talk it up to your friends and neighbors and say, you know, that's just not true. That's misinformation. It's like my, my friends last night. They were talking about all the homeless people on the street and uh, the etiology of this and, and how to take care of it. And I said, do you know how this all started? And they were like, no. I said, back in the 50s and 60s, when the psychiatric drugs were being developed, the antipsychotics and the first generation tricyclic antidepressants, uh, the, uh, the, the medical community said, well, maybe we can get some of these people out of these facilities. And then Geraldo Rivera did that piece back in the early 60s. I don't know if you remember it. I think it was Bellevue Psychiatric Ward that he went and did a piece on. And, and, and at that time, and still now, there's there's similar situations where you have uh, crazy people sitting in a corner in their own feces, Ken. And, and, uh, yeah, it's cuckoo's nest. Yeah, uh, but we really didn't. There wasn't the money, the manpower, or the medications to adequately deal with this. And I said, so when the medicines came out, and the left-wing press, which Geraldo was part of back then, said, uh, oh, this is horrible. These people are being held as prisoners and treated like animals. They started closing down all the psychiatric facilities, the state and federal facilities. They're all gone now. So what do you do with all these people? Okay, well, let's say most of them will take their medication. What about that 500,000, a million people, 2 million people who have psychiatric problems that won't take their medication? What happens to them? They end up on the street, Ken. They end up on the street. And, uh, you know, we used to lock up the alcoholics and make them get sober and keep them in uh, rehab facilities or the drug addicts. And now we don't do that. You want to be a drunk on the street? Go right ahead. But it's a drain on us. It's a drain on society. Because eventually these people come in the ER and they have to be taken care of. Yep. I, don't know, yep. I don't know what the answer is, Ken. I do not know. Um, it's a balance between reality and, uh, I guess, the emotions of it. Well, it's getting close to the end of the show, folks, and uh, I've had a great time today, Ken. I don't know why. This show has just flown along. I think I think we just get on to a topic and we get so hot that we uh, – I, I don't know if people are as excited about it as you and I are. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. But we have fun. No, I think we imparted some very good information. Yep. This today, and, uh, so you got one minute left now, and I want you to tell everybody the phone number of the business because they need a doctor and they need a good one, and you're the guy, and I know because I'm a patient. Yes, you are, and a bad patient too. <laughs> Bay Area Medical Can Care Clinic. We're in St. Petersburg, Florida, near St. Pete General Hospital. Seven two seven three eight four six four one one seven two seven. 384-6411. We also have telemedicine visits. I did a telemedicine visit on, on someone from Michigan last week. Uh, so you can reach me anywhere in the in the United States. Uh, you can reach me in the uh, in the American Samoas and the outlying islands and Puerto Rico and the American Virgin Islands. I can send in prescriptions. I can do everything. I'll see you right over the phone. That's easy. Dr. Bill, 727-384-6411. Thanks, everybody. Love you. See you next week, Doc.
Thank you for listening to Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Join Dr. Bill every Sunday morning at 9 for more insight, information, provocation, and fun. Dr. Bill Handelman practices in St. Petersburg, Florida at Bay Area Medical Can Care Clinic, 6399 38th Avenue North. For your convenience, telemedicine appointments are available. Call his office today at 727-384-6411. That's 727-384-6411. Or visit his website at Can Care Clinic.